Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by the new voice-activated sync featuring hands-free calling, music and podcast search, and turn-by-turn navigation. Available exclusively on Ford, Lincoln, and Mercury vehicles. For more details, visit SyncMyRide.com. This week on TWIP, another Q&A episode and a special interview with Rebecca of Flickrfit. All that and more in episode number 123 of this week in Flickrfit. First episode of 2010 or 2010. You think about that, didn't you? 2000. No, I'm thinking about how do you say that? Do you say 2010 or do you say 2010? 2010. 20, every time I say 2010, I want to say a space odyssey after me. <laughs> okay, the first show of 2010 and back by popular demand. This is a Q&A episode. So if you haven't, if you're, if you're watching the show live and you haven't jumped into our chat room alex what's the chat room address irc.twit.tv irc.twit.tv punch that in your browser jump in there and shoot some questions at us and our wonderful panel of hosts will do their best to answer it or dance around it speaking of hosts on the wheels of steel today is mr alex Lindsay. Hey, alex. hello hello how's it going how was your holiday it was good i'm really glad the holidays are done <laughs> uh, you know, so I. I woke up on the first and i was like thank goodness that gauntlet we're through the gauntlet. You're not through it because it's Valentine's Day now. Uh, <laughs> it's, 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 the, it's all the silly stuff. Between, for me, like between Thanksgiving and New Year's, is just this screw up my schedule. And then when you're done screwing it up, screw it up some more. And yeah. then screw it up some more. And now I'm just ready to get back to work, have a regular schedule, do my thing. I'm, I'm excited. Speaking of uh, Valentine's Day, uh, our newlywed co-host on the show, this will be his first Valentine's Day with his new bride. So... All eyes are on Steve Simon. Hey, Steve. Gear down, Big Rig. It's only like January 4th. I mean, it's not Valentine's Day Gear yet. down, Big Rig. I know. Sorry. I've been wanting to say that for a long time. But uh, wow. yeah, great to be back. All Happy right. New Year to everybody. All right. I think I'm going to use that as my, my handle from now on, Big Rig. I like that. <laughs> and that other voice you heard in the background was Mr. Ron... Brinkman. Hey, Ron, how you doing? <laughs> Happy New Year, everybody. And speaking, and speaking of Valentine's Day, <laughs> you knew I was going there. You knew I was going there. Speaking of Valentine's Day and how that relates to Playboy models, uh, yes, <laughs> Mr. Ron Brinkman was bragging yesterday about a uh, check that he received from the Playboy Mansion or from Playboy Enterprises. It's Ron, true. you want to tell the This Week in Photography audience why you're being paid by Mr. Hefner? I got a, a nice check. For six hundred dollars uh, the other day from uh, Playboy magazine for some photos that they purchased, and Steve Steve is allowing you to sell those photos. <laughs> <laughs> now the problem with this story is that any more details I provide will make it much less interesting than than uh, than what you're imagining. So make something up. <laughs> <laughs> well, there I was with half. Um, no, this this is actually a, a, a great story, uh, a, sort of a, a great. Um, lesson for people that are concerned about putting their work up on the web 
uh, putting photos out there. Uh, and I guess sort of a testament to the fact that reputable companies like Playboy will actually do the right thing. I had a bunch of photos, you know, up on the, up on the web, up on Flickr. And I get this random email from somebody. I didn't even notice the return address initially. And it said, um, we'd like to publish some of the photos that are on your, you know, such and such uh, uh, site uh, in our magazine. And please contact us. And so I'm like, all right, you know, because I've gotten a couple of those before. And they never, usually it's, we'd, we'd like to use it, you know, for free. Because most of the stuff I put up there is Creative Commons license anyway. Yeah. Uh, and so it's like, fine, you know, go ahead. Uh, but then I look at the return address, and it's from somebody at Playboy. Playboy. And I'm like, really? And the photos were actually some travel stuff. They're actually some uh, photos of uh, the uh, fish market in Tokyo. And if any of you guys have been there, I think you've been there, Alex, right? Yes. Yeah. So the the Tsukiji uh, fish market in Tokyo is a fantastic place. Um, I'm not sure it's as open as it used to be, but basically you could get up really early and go out there, and it was. You know, the big market, uh, or really the, the big uh, distribution center where all the boats would come into Tokyo in the morning and they'd offload the fish and chop them up and send them out to all the different sushi restaurants and whatnot uh, around town. So interesting place, very photogenic, and I'd wandered around and taken a lot of photos and put them up on the web. Uh, and I guess Playboy was doing a uh, uh, an article about that, and they were just trolling the web looking for good representative photos to illustrate it, and they came across mine. And sent me this email out of nowhere asking if uh, they could use it. Wow. So, so there, there are no the hot chicks in that story. The fish <laughs> so, yes, the bottom line is, as I said, <laughs> rather than a glamour photo spread full of nubile nude women, I have dead fish. There's <laughs> <laughs> oh, another quote of the day right there. <laughs> We're kicking it off. I think, right. I, think, I, think, I think this will be called the I Have Dead Fish. Uh, <laughs> I like that. Yeah, exactly. Like or I Got Dead Fish. I Got Dead Fish. Yeah, I'm, sh- I'm going to so be taking got, pictures of dead fish. I too. Got Dead Fish. I, I was published in Playboy, Dead Fish. There you go. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, the magazine. Fun was, Crunch in the yeah. chat room says Dead Fish versus Nubile Women. Hmm. Yeah, no, the, the, I don't think. <laughs> it's not a choice I would have made either. No. But, no. uh,. But it's pretty cool, and and you know, and just sort of for people that may find themselves in a situation like that. I mean, you know, I've I've been pretty clear on this show that my photography, when it's not related to doing uh, you know visual effects work, is is very much a hobby. Yeah. And I never really pursued it as uh, as as a uh, a money making sort of thing, and I'm I'm fine with that. And I think that's actually a perfectly acceptable position for people to take to just do it for the the love of doing it. Um, so whenever somebody says we'd like to publish some photos, you're per- per- you know, and then they ask. What's your rate? It's kind of like, I have no idea. Well, you so, can say, I've been published in Playboy, so, you know. Well, now my rate's going up. If you up. have to ask, you can't afford me. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, with the initial contact with these guys from Playboy, my, you know, the question of what's your rate, I, I honestly had no idea what to ask. And, and uh, you know, it, it was sort of the thing, you know, we need to know right away. So I kind of quickly hopped on the web and poked around a little bit. And, uh, yeah. A, a Let's really answer that question right now. Let's answer that right now. Steve Simon is a professional okay. photographer. Yeah, I'd be curious, Steve, if you got a, 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 a note like that. I mean, what would you quote as a, as a rate for something like that? Well, yeah. I tell, tell you guys, there's, there's a really good piece of software that I've been using for years, and it's called PhotoQuotes, and uh, Photo, F-O-T-O. And what's great about it is, I mean, it started many, many years ago, and of course the market has changed, has changed, and is always changing. But it allows you, for example, uh, Ron to plug in um, the request from the magazine, Playboy, if you 
click off, you know, their circulation, how big uh, an image are they going? These are the questions you need to ask the magazine. How, how are you going to use this? Are you going to use it? What size, et cetera? Because that all impacts what you're going to charge, as does the um, circulation of the magazine. Now, granted, publishing is in a very kind of weird and transitional, difficult place right now, but it gives you at least a good starting point. Um, so I'm just curious, Ron, do you know how they're going to use your images? Like how big well, they're going to make them? Yeah, and, and actually that was, uh, I didn't at the time, but uh, that is one of the websites that I found, and, and I use that, and I use that kind of as a guide doing it. And uh, they, didn't, they didn't say specifically initially. So, I mean, I'll go ahead and tell you guys sort of how it ended up working out. Is Originally they had asked for, uh, I think, one or two images, uh, and so I sent those over to them, you know, the originals, because uh, they wanted the, the full, full res versions of it. And um, using that site and a couple other ones, I think I ended up quoting them uh, 350 per image, uh, you know, saying, you know, if these are like half-page images, I'd go for about that, uh, which was about in the mid-range of, of what that site and a couple other sites had sort of recommended. Uh, and then they'd come back and they asked for a couple more options. We kind of went back and forth for several days. The, the, the layout guys were deciding which images were, they were going to use. Uh, and they told me it wasn't going to be even half-page probably. And we ended up settling, you know, when, when it was all said and done and they'd finalized the layout, um, they sent me an email and they said, well, how about this? We're, we want to use four of the images. They're all going to be probably quarter size uh, on the page or even less potentially. Uh, and so how about we just do a flat rate of 600 for uh, for all four images? Not, you know, fine with me. You know, it's it's found money as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think it's in the ballpark of something reasonable, uh, you know, yeah, for I, a, I, a big magazine like that. I think it's in the ballpark. It's probably maybe a, a little bit on the low side. But, you know, when you're negotiating things like this, I mean, they on the other side obviously have experience. They do this every month. And, um, you know, it's good to have the ammunition of knowing ballpark, what to charge, you know, with sites um, like Photo Quotes. John Harrington has got a great book on business. And on his site, he actually lists some some prices and some negotiation uh, ideas for you, but it's you know it, it's it's always good to come in a little high because they'll quickly say, oh no, we can't. I mean, this is whatever. Um, but you know that's just something that uh, you live and learn. I think you're in the ballpark, Ron. I think it's great that uh, that you're published in Playboy now. Now, Ron, did you did you have a walk away number? You know where you were like, uh, you know, honestly, no. And that's you know certainly the the issue with this is that at some level it's like. <laughs> I wanted to be published in Playboy, right? Yeah, I'd have done it for uh, free. I, and honestly, I would have too. You know, quite. You know, but no, on the no, other no, hand, guys, don't say that. But don't <laughs> tell anyone. Don't <laughs> tell anyone. Yeah, I'd have done it for free and then told everybody that I was paid fifteen hundred dollars for the shot. There you go. Uh, you well, know, Ron, no, Ron, you sent us a copy of the check, and I, I have a feeling it's framed in your office, and you're not going to cash it. <laughs> no, I have, no, I'm definitely going to cash Playboy it. thing off. He's already scanned it. Scanned something it. in. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, before we continue and jump into the chat room, um, let's, uh, let's hit on a couple of the hot items in the news because this is This Week in Photography. What's, uh, what's new in the news, Alex? So uh, a couple things in the news. Uh, one is, of course, the Leica S2 is now shipping. This is kind of the, what's kind of being billed as the, the, the photographer's camera. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> well, it's just that it's, it's, not, it's not video. It's really, you know, Leica has been always much more, much more focused. It's got a 37-megapixel sensor, CCD sensor, not a CMOS. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has, um, uh, you know, it's, 
uh, so it's, it's really, really big. It's, it's designed to work with the, the, the new, you know, the, the, the Leica uh, lens system mm-hmm. that they have there. Yeah. And it's supposed to be really, you know, really high end. I mean, it's, yeah. this is not a, and I don't know what the price point is. I don't have what it in front it, of me. What, is, what does that mean? So when you say really high end, well, what, I mean, what does that mean? I mean, 37, mean megapixel, that? 37 megapixels yeah. is, I'm sure that the price, and I, and, I, and I don't have the price in front of me here. Like the optics it are so much better Fred, than you a can't camera. Have one, Fred. It's, it's, it's just that, well, number one <laughs> is that this is really designed for people who, um, uh, that are just taking photos. I mean, this is not, this doesn't do video. Mm. Um, it's a much, it's a larger sensor. Um, it is, uh, and I don't, and said, oh, the price, oh yeah, the price is 20, I'm sorry, let's see here. S2 camera <laughs> schedule. Right I believe it's like 20, 000, 22,000 to 26,000. Oh, 31,000, 31,000. 31K? Wow. So this is, I mean, no, but it, it, it all of these numbers, when you hear these numbers, it's it's a lot of money uh, until you're doing the kind of projects that pay for that kind of pro- that kind of yeah. hardware. I have hardware that costs that much money, and and not not a camera. Well, I do have a camera. I have a video camera that costs. Well, I mean, that much well, you're talking about gear. First, you go from one. Co- we're going from one conversation where Ron is like, you know, hey, I got six hundred bucks for this job, and, and then you go to another conversation. Well, thirty one thousand dollars for this body, you know. The average Ron isn't going to be dropping that kind of but coin for some on people, a camera. But for some people, when we say I spent twenty seven hundred dollars on my five D, that seems like a lot of you know. That's sure. a big but if chunk they're making fifty grand a wedding or twenty five and, I, and or I think three people, grand a wedding or even you know, whatever, whatever that, that, kind of, that kind of stuff pays up for itself pretty quickly. Yeah. And and the fact that you can, I mean, a thirty seven megapixels, you can print some pretty big images on it. Um, yeah. And uh, and it's a large sensor too, so it's not just packing thirty seven megapixels into the same little APS sensor or a full frame. I think it's actually larger than full frame. And so <laughs> this is really for the people who really were deep in the Leica, you know, really believe in that, want so to continue to be that. Very which slender is, demographic. Which is why they're charging customers. $30,000. And those customers will pay $30,000. Well, that's what they're guessing. So I get the Leica people are probably like, Mr. Johnson, you're not in our target market. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. They're like, you know, uh, it is. It is. You stick with your Nikon because <laughs> obvious that you wouldn't understand the mortal. You know, it's just, just you're not a real photographer. It's a little bit above your pay grade, you know. <laughs> so, um, also wow. in the news, uh, real quickly, is Samsung is unveiling its interchangeable lens, the NX10. We're going to have a lot more about this uh, as we go into uh, CES. Mm-hmm. So, this is one of the things that's going to happen. Of which? Speaking of CES, uh, one of the things that we're going to be doing is uh, shooting, I believe, eight episodes or eight or ten episodes with uh, Fred and myself covering camera gear um, at the... Uh, wait, there we go. Now you can How's do that? It. There you go. You. You. Sorry. <laughs> if you're not watching the video, it doesn't matter. So... Um, uh, Fred and I, we're going to be we're going to be on the floor at CES uh, looking at what the new camera trends are. One of the things that we'll, we'll probably see is this new NX10. Uh, this is from Samsung. It is a mirrorless, um, uh, you know, a DSLR. Uh, evidently, it has its own mount, which means that you know it's it's. Uh, but you can you'll be able to get a uh, K mount adapter to be able to handle Pentax. K mount lenses. I don't know if if there's any other way to uh, handle it. It does do video. And um, so it's, it's, and I think that's one of the big reasons that you, you know, that it'll do 720p, which I think, by the way, I think there's been a lot of between set, and something we're we're planning to test. We're going to be doing a lot more video for this week in photography this year. And one of the things we're going to be doing tests of is the video, the true video quality. I think Stu Mashwitz had some great points mm-hmm. about, uh, you know, what we're really getting from these cameras. So when they say 1080p 
versus um, 720p versus 540p or 480p. You know, what are we actually getting here? And so, so I think that 720p is is about what you're getting from most of these cameras, uh, whether they say 1080p or 720p. Uh, I don't think you're really get. I don't think the sensor is really giving you. I mean, the sensor is capable of giving you more, but I don't think that's what they're running through the system. Yeah. So anyway, so it's. Uh, but we're going to be doing a bunch of tests uh, related to that this year. Uh, but anyway, so we'll we'll be showing you probably little videos of us on the show floor talking about the NX10 and a lot of other stuff um, coming up. I mean, CES is not the biggest thing. We've got you know PMA coming in March, um, but CES is obviously going to have lots of cool and I think consumer driven you know, camera options, mm-hmm. um, that, that we're going to be taking a look at. So, um, so before that, now we're going to, we're going to start going towards, uh, the, uh, Q and a, cause yep. we are doing a Q and a There's section. a bunch that are queuing up. Yeah. They're queuing up and they're queuing up and repeating. They're in, they're in uh, repeat mode here, which mm-hmm. is good. This is exactly the way to do it. Guys. I'm trying to find the first um, one here. Well, let, before we get to that, I just want to make sure also that we, uh, we thank our, uh, we thank our sponsor, of course. Um, this uh, this episode of, of TWIP is brought to you by the voice-activated Sync that you can use uh, for Ford, Lincoln, or Mercury vehicles. Uh, of course, Sync li- lets you listen. It just listens to your voice. You don't have to use your hands at all, which is good. You know, even even dialing is dangerous. And um, uh, makes uh, makes calls on your mobile phone. You can find and play music and podcasts. Uh, you can t- get turn-by-turn navigation and access real-time traffic and weather. And it's all hands-free from Sync. So uh, definitely check that out. You can go to SyncMyRidePodcast.com. That is SyncMyRidePodcast.com. And you can enter to win a free Nana or Zoom using uh, the tweet and a hashtag, uh, SyncMyRidePodcast. So uh, get up there and tweet away. Make sure that you get your, your hash, SyncMyRidePodcast, in there and mm-hmm. uh, win either a Nana or Zoom. I have both of those. I oh, like, you have a Zoom. I do have a Zoom. Is it... This is not for this this conversation. But <laughs> I, I have a Zune. It's out the, now. The, You're my in the Zune, <laughs> My Zune is my primary music listening device. I, I actually... I, what? Really? Yeah. Not your iPhone. Do you have an iPhone? Um, a Zune is like having BitTorrent without the guilt. Anything I want to download. <laughs> just about everything I want to download. I just go up there and I go, oh, I'll download that album. My, my, my brother talks about some cool album. I download that album and all the bands and everything. Because I just have a subscription. It's awesome. So it's because it's a subscription, I, I have the Zune full of cool, crazy music all the time. Cool. Anyway, so that's a whole other stuff. That's right. a whole other Yeah, thing. that's this weekend. That's this weekend Zune, something. which we don't do. Yeah. And, or this weekend this Windows. This weekend Portable or, or something Music like Players. That. So we've got, a bunch of, uh, we've got a bunch of great questions, of yeah. course. You, we always worry when we're, when we're starting to... Uh, do one of these like what if no one shows up and uh this first question is from fail well seven alex it's it's tailor-made for you <laughs> goes, excited. it's either you or ron because he's uh fail well seven says um i'm a vfx professional and i've been thinking of getting a new camera upgrading from my old pd 150 i have no idea what that is and been thinking of getting either a canon 5d mark 2 or a canon 7d or maybe maybe waiting for a scarlet 23 mm-hmm. or s35 maybe you, you guys know what yep. this means well, uh what would be the best bang for the buck um and a good camera to learn and grow with alex well the scarlet isn't out yet and so that's the first. That's step. a red camera, right? It's a red camera. I'm assuming so because Scarlet. The Scarlet red, is yeah. part of the red, the red family. Okay. And the uh, and it's very exciting. I think we're as someone who already has a 5D and a 7D and a, or a couple of them, we're going to get some Scarlets. I mean, we're we're definitely excited about the Scarlets. Uh, the I don't think that if you need it now, I don't think you're going to see a Scarlet. 
um, that you could get a hold of until the midsummer to the end of the year. I think somewhere in that range is probably when the scarlets will be available to the average person. And the reason is is that red tends to be uh, allow people who have already bought from them or already gotten the waiting list, so to speak, um, to buy first. So they always get first dibs. Mm-hmm. And as a result, the average, uh, you know, if, if, you, if you're not in the red system, you know, they'll suck up all the first ones that go out the door, mm-hmm. um, which is not necessarily a bad thing. You know, you know, there's alpha, alpha testers and beta testers. And, yeah. and in, for red, in red, there's gamma testers, which is everyone who buy, buys the first version. Now, they're very good about updating stuff and fixing stuff. You can send your camera in and get it up. But a lot of times, the first one, the first reds, at least, that came out were a little rough around the corners. Mm-hmm. They totally took care of everybody. And people knew it when they got them. Like the new epics that are coming out, people, mm-hmm. which is a big version, um, is... Uh, they're telling people these are going to be rough, and so but what, what? What should fail whale buy? Should you just get a five D you know, or a seventy? So what I would, if you're not in a rush, um, if you're not in a rush, I'd wait till PMA. Mm. Well, we're we're and now you can't say anything else beyond that. No, 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 no. And, and this is not knowing anything, so okay. I'm not. There's not anything I'm, I'm hiding. It's just that when you get within about, I stop unless I absolutely need something. If there's a big photo show coming up or a big, and this comes like if there's a big, like I won't, I'll. We're getting close enough to NAB, for instance, that I'm not going to buy a new video camera unless I have to right. before NAB. It's like buying a new Mac right before Macworld. Right? Well, it used to be that way, and I think that's part of why Apple got rid of that. You know, is is so. Um, but I think that you know what happens is, is for about two or three months before um, P- PMA is the is the Photo Marketing Association. So this is like the big one of the big photo shows, probably the biggest yeah. one in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, photo shows, and that's happening in March, mm-hmm. and uh, and we'll of course be covering it. We'll probably do twenty or thirty episodes from the floor, video uh, video episodes from the floor, and we'll probably do a special event there. Um, so uh, it's a, it's in Las Vegas every I'd year. Like to do a photo walk there if anybody's. Interested. We're doing a photo walk. Yeah, just assume that we're doing a photo walk. Mm-hmm. So, so ending the, at a bar. I was going to say ending at a well anyway yeah. <laughs> at a gun range. I was like, oh yeah, we'll do a, we'll do a photo walk into the desert, and then we'll How start about the gun range after the bar. We'll no, start shooting, and then we'll stop shooting and start shooting something else. So um, so anyway the uh, um, uh, the PMA PMA. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I got you. <laughs> I Alex, saw that spinning Alex, beach ball. Alex. <laughs> I've never seen my a real, eyes, my eyes a real spinning, spinning beach, beach ball. ball. Just, <laughs> oh, it happens to me all the time. I have a very rough operating system, so um, I gotta, I gotta clean it out. I gotta, you know, defrag at some point in time. So it's just like my Mac. Yeah, it's like just like my Mac. So um, so anyway, so the uh, the the Scarlet is really exciting. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how it works. Um, but I don't, you know, we don't know what what it's going to look like. Um, I know that the the seventy and the five D, both of which I think you'd be pretty happy with. Here's the thing about. We've if you're going to make a choice between one or the other. If you're going to make a choice right now. If you're going to have to buy right now. If you have to buy right now and yeah. you have to make a choice, well, the Scarlet's not available. It's not going to be available well, anytime and soon. That's, that's so a if you need completely a different price range from the 5D and the 7D. No, 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 it isn't. It's going to be the, the, the Scarlet. That's the whole thing. The Scarlet's going to be in the three to $5,000 range oh, for the body. Okay, so yeah, so it's going to be a yeah. great, very competitive um, camera. It is going to, uh, but it's not going to be. It's not going to be available anytime soon. So if you need something right now, you're looking at the five D or the seven D. I don't. I think that if you're doing, if you're talking about video camera here, mm-hmm. um, I think that uh, the of those two, the thing, the, the and you just have to decide what's most important to you. Mm-hmm. If you're looking for a video camera, like something that feels more like a video camera, of the two, the um, 
the uh, 70 feels more like a video camera. It shoots 24p or 30p. Mm-hmm. It has a little video switch to it. It has, you know, it just feels a little bit more like, and that's what I'm using at home now um, after my little, if you want to see a video test that oh, I did. Right. Yeah. I did one on Vidly. It was, uh, if you just do a search on Vidly, uh, V-I-D-L-Y, uh, and search for my name, you'll see one. I was putting a submission in for Leo, and I used the 70 to to do it and it was mostly just an art you know sunday morning it was kind of an art well farewell farewell fail whale seven says uh you need the, the ability to shoot broadcast broadcast quality material um the well the thing to know about shooting with both of these is and that this is not this week in media by the way so right <laughs> so broadcast quality the question is, is is how do you shoot broadcast quality number one is you can shoot broadcast quality number two is that um it, the, the the issues that you have is is that when you take these still cameras off the tripods, we have found them to be very uh, shaky. So I mean, you, and, and I'm not sure whether the chip is being treated the same way as the, you know, and you know, there's like it feels like there's almost like a little clicking that that we notice when we do handheld with yeah. the with the 7D and the 5D. Mm-hmm. If you're doing a lot of movement, you don't notice it that much. If you're trying to stay really close, sometimes you can feel that kind of going back and forth. And so the 70. And the 5D are, you know, we, we find that to be there. Now, what we do, to be honest with you, is we take it into motion, uh, Apple's motion, and, and you stabilize. It. We just say stabilize, and it goes, and it just fixes it. I mean, it just, it just goes away. It, it immediately, it's, it's a post-production thing. Um, and we, but we haven't been totally happy with the raw footage. Um, I'll post, I'm going to post some raw footage on YouTube soon, so of some stuff we shot over the we summer, actually the first video. So, so just definitively answer that question for the different categories of right. of still photographer thinking of making the leap into video. These are your options, and yeah. this is the bucket you fall in. But, well, and, and, and what I was going to say is the 70, I think, is a better video camera than the 5D. The advantage of the 5D is that it has a much better low-light performance. It is not close. So if you're really concerned about shooting low-light, um, I really think the 5D is a better solution um, You know, for the uh, um, 70. Now, I, I, what I will say is that as far as shooting broadcast quality, when you're shooting low light, that's when things are going to come up where you start to realize that, um, you know, you're, it's a compressed footage. It's a compressed yeah. image. You know, you're, you're, what's going on in the art and what comes out of the HDMI is a little difficult to work with. There are some ways to convert. Evidently, people are now using some kind of reclamation software that just was announced recently that gets you 444 coming out of the 7D. And, and we're going to test that. We're definitely going to test it. But right. um, so anyway, so that's the as far as that goes, um, I think that uh, I'm using the 7D as my kind of go to video camera mm-hmm. uh, in my office. And that's good enough for broadcast, right? I think you can use it in broadcast. We we've actually intercut seventy five uh, D footage with EX one footage. Okay. Um, so fail fail will get the seventy or the five D get the five D Mark two. No. <laughs> <laughs> or you know better yet, rent both of them and make your own decision. I will say yeah, we, we there, intercut five D so footage. Many. Yeah. So many issues here that you know it's very hard to give a single a single answer. And you know I think the the main thing I would say as a takeaway is if you're looking for a professional video solution. You probably should be looking at professional video cameras. If you're looking at something that's you know going to do double duty and can do both, then then you can consider one of these hybrid cameras. But mm-hmm. um, you know you, you really have to you know like I said, if you're doing this as a pro, you've you've got to be a lot more than just <laughs> call into a radio show and, and ask for a off the cuff recommendation because right. there are yeah. a lot of issues to it. He's just looking for a data point. All right, we got yep. another question in. Uh, this one is needs to go to Steve Simon since I know Steve has been uh, running around the Arctic recently. Um, R. Bittman says, have you ever had problems going from warm inside to freezing outside with your camera gear? Um, this is the coldest winter I remember in a long time. So Steve, I know you are 
preparing to or uh, do some some shots up north. What's uh, what's your standard mo for doing cold to warm environment transitions? Yeah, it's it's been a while since I've been back in the homeland, and I'm going to be going back to Winnipeg to cover the uh, torch run uh, tomorrow, as a matter of fact. And the last time I was back there um, during the absolute uh, cold of winter, um, I had I had what happens a lot when you're shooting in cold weather and you go from sort of the cold outside to a place that's a lot warmer, and that is condensation will start to form all over your camera. And one of the tricks, and it's not really a trick, it, it's just science, I guess, but it it's something that... I'm going to make sure that I'm going to, you know, prepare for, and that is to take a plastic bag um, when you're going from the very cold to a warmer temperature, um, try and take out as much air uh, from that bag and try and seal it as tight as possible. And then when you make the transition from the cold to the warm, the condensation will form outside the bag and not inside on the gear itself. And, you know, with digital cameras, we had that problem with film cameras. With digital cameras, um, specifically, if you have any kind of dust on your sensor, um, when there's condensation that happens, sometimes that kind of uh, little bit of liquid that will kind of materialize all over the camera and inside the camera can kind of embed any dust uh, on the sensor, making it very difficult to get off, meaning you have to either use some of the wet solutions to clean the sensor or actually send it in. So to shorten that answer, basically a plastic bag, try and take out as much air as possible, seal it tight, and then go inside. And in a matter of a couple of minutes, if you can wait, you should be fine. But if you can't wait, you won't be able to shoot anyway because everything will be all fogged up. Mm. Okay. And then if it's all and hey, this is like what's, what's this your is solution cold... if it gets all fogged up? Well, if it gets wait. all fogged up, <laughs> That's a that's a good question. I mean, you kind of have to wait. You can kind of, um, you know, try and use a, a lens cloth, but don't forget it. The condensation will happen, you know, between the lens elements in places that you can't get to it. Um, uh, I would I would run back outside, frankly, and 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 start to make that transition um, a little bit later if if I could. Um, you know, I, I, there's really not much you can do except wait and wait for it to uh, to go away. It's also, too, when you go from a, a very uh, dry, cold environment into uh, a, a much more humid environment inside. So I remember back in the day when I was working in newspapers, you'd go in from the hockey game, and then if you had to cover anything in the dressing room, forget about it because it would really be uh, all fogged up and you couldn't do it. So you had to have a, a body that you kept in the dressing room so that when you got in there, you can grab it and shoot because going from the cold to a humid environment just just doesn't work. There's really nothing you can do, unless you guys have any ideas on that. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I you know, Ron, when you you travel the globe shooting in different environments. What do you what do you <laughs> tend to use to make sure that you're you're always able to get the shot? No, it's pretty much what what Steve says. You just have to sort of be aware of radical changes in temperature and humidity, and sort of. Not assume you're going to be able to shoot right away. If you've got a plastic bag, that does help. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of it really is just, you know, my, fortunately, most of the shooting I do is of, you know, big landscapes, and they tend not to be moving too much, so I've got time to let things stabilize. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just a matter of if I'm going to go out and shoot, then I'll get the camera to the temperature of where it's going to be, and when I come back in, I'll just let it sit for a while and not, you know, not try to do anything with it, not even try to... 
uh, switch lenses a lot of times, uh, just because, and, and I don't really know if that's got a, a basis in reality or not. But you know, if I'll come in from the cold into the the warm, I'll try to make sure that everything stabilizes before I would even take a lens off. Yeah. Uh, just thinking that that might put more humid air into the interior of the camera body. Yeah. Now, Steve, um, and when you're running around taking shots everywhere, what what kind of camera bag are you using? What's uh, what's your bag of choice? I know you probably have a million, like we all do, but your bag of choice right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm I'm. We've talked about it on the show before. You can't have enough camera bags because you never know, you know, what the assignment is going to be. So you'd like to um, go into your camera bag room and select the right bag for the particular assignment uh, for the equipment that you're going to take take with you. But I have to tell you, when I'm moving very quickly. Um, I tend to not have a bag at all. And lately, um, the assignment uh, that I've been doing means that I'm having to be able to run and move quickly. Uh, so I have uh, that camera slinger's camera strap that allows me to have two cameras comfortably, one on each side with a lens on each. And I've got kind of this belt thing, uh, this little think tank thing where I can put a couple of um, uh, these little lens holders so I have access to them. Um, and I have a vest, you know, kind of a geeky vest that I put all my other stuff in. So I'm I'm very mobile, and I'm not running and bouncing around with a bag. Uh, so that's that's really the way I've been working lately because I've been running around in inclement weather, and it just it makes the most sense uh, for for that kind of situation. But but yeah, I'm all for the bag. You know, I think you can you know if you're going out with uh, just a minimum of equipment, you know, take a small bag with you. Um, and it is nice to be able to, you know, when you have the cameras on each side, uh, if for whatever reason I decided to kind of put them away somewhere, I can't really do that without a bag, but that's just the compromise I make for, for working that way. Yeah. Alex, there's another, uh, message in there for you, I think. So we had, a uh, we had one question here and I'm just, the problem is it kept, kept on scrolling. Oh, here it is uh, from Pano. And it said, looking for an affordable option for pano heads uh, for 360-degree shots. I was told Kaiden was great, but it looks uh, like they're out of business. Uh, do you have one that you recommend? And uh, the one that I recommend is from Nodal Ninja. And it, the one that I use specifically is called the R1. So the R1 is a uh, – uh, the R1 is um, – it is speci- it's really a pano head. So the, uh, Nodal Ninja makes a bunch of them. If you want it to be adjustable and use a bunch of different lenses and a bunch of different cameras, uh, there's, there's a bunch of Nodal Ninjas that are available. Um, for me, uh, I, am, I have a, uh, a Sigma 8mm lens that I have on my Canon, um, and the Nodal Ninja actually locks on. The R1 locks on to the lens. So it actually hooks. It doesn't, you, don't, you don't put it on the bottom of the camera. You mm-hmm. actually hang the camera from the little lens. And then you rotate it around, and um, and I find that it's the smallest one. I can put it in my, like in a cargo pocket on my in my, uh, you know that I'm, you know, uh, the one I'm traveling, which is pretty much what I when I'm when I'm shooting anywhere. I've got cargo pants, so so yeah. I've got lots of stuff in my in my cargo pockets, and so I can throw something in there. I can set it up quickly. It's the fastest I've ever had to you know kind of set something up. Mm-hmm. So the eight millimeter uh, uh, Sigma lens combined with the the uh, R one combined with like a good. I use a Manfrotto like ball head mm-hmm. so that I can yep. I can level it real quick mm-hmm. and uh, and that also will hook into one of the po- side pockets of my um, of my uh, DR four sixty seven you know the the backpack I use mm-hmm. from Kata so all of that is very very compact and I can walk around throw it down and, and do um, 
you know, do the panos very, very fast. And I, I like it a lot. So that's my suggestion. Man with a camera in the chat room says, my wife is my bag of choice. Oh, don't. <laughs> <laughs> boom. boom. <laughs> I am yeah, so not going. There. That's bad. That's bad. My my my, uh, my if I if I even tried to hand my camera bag to my wife, she'd be like, "You can carry your own damn bags." Yeah. You know, you know that, that that's pretty much. I get one of those. Well, you got you got a gaggle of kids too, so she's probably yeah, she got her hands like, full. She, usually, <laughs> I have to shoot with the kids. You know, the theater, you so. yeah, exactly. You know, guys, we're we're gonna probably have to do a story depending on how things shake out with air travel these days, because I mean, I think there have been times during this little incident on. Uh, Christmas Day, where people were not allowed to bring any carry-on at all. And I think, in a way, you you, you have to sort of prepare for this. I know people have talked oh, about wow. shipping their equipment in advance, but it's I, I'm traveling tomorrow to Canada. I'm hopeful that uh, I won't have any trouble, but I've always been able to carry on my bags on the plane with my equipment. But I think in the future, who knows how it's all going to shake down. Well, but I hadn't will, heard I, of that. Uh, so there... Is this where is that going? So we're not going to be able to. No, no. It's it's it, so. So here's the thing: is that is that according to that TSA right fly. now, when they got the day it happened, I think people were a little. They were just saying, "Don't take." We would prefer people not to take anything. The reason yeah, that they were still doing carry that lenses around your crotch area. You're good to go. Well, there's a couple <laughs> things. One is uh, uh, the, there's a couple ways around this little problem <laughs> as far as bags go. Yeah. Typically, what they did in Heathrow when they found the, the shoe bomber, I was I had to go through Heathrow a week after the shoe bomber, okay. and uh, and so they they cut you down to one carry on, and that that is something that it looks like they may do, which is that they don't want you to carry your roll on bag, for instance, with you. They're going to want you to yeah, which is your camera stuff. No, 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 no. Well, I, not for me. I keep I put most of my camera stuff. I my bag. I stuff all the lenses that I'm going to use on a typical shoot. If you go, if you're going to Vegas overnight for a trade show or something or whatever, you're gonna. What I typically carry is my camera bag with all my stuff in there and a roller bag or something with either Close. my clothes and my laptop and all that stuff. Oh, see, see, with, with me, I have my. My uh, camera bag and my computer bag are the same bag. So, oh. so I have my computer slides into the back, and, and then I have my camera that. on the bottom, and then I have mm-hmm. accessories in the middle, and okay. and it's a heavy bag. I mean, I yeah. I think someone had me weigh it one time because so they picked it up. It, and it was like forty efficient. pound bag. It makes it really efficient. Yeah, I'm for just when saying. I'm just that, saying, right? guys. I'm just saying, guys. That uh, you know, right now it's a little bit all over the map. They've left yeah. it to the airlines. We haven't seen you know radical changes, but. Um, you know, depending how things go, hopefully things will get better again. But uh, there's a chance that maybe you won't be able to carry anything on board like they did immediately after this thing happened on some of the airlines. And, you know, that's going to be very difficult for photographers. And if they ever weighed Alex's or Fred's or Ron's or, or my camera bag, they're definitely over the weight limit Spec. for carrying. Yeah. No now, I think, you know, I think the the main thing here is... You don't want to get caught in a situation where you show up expecting to carry on a camera bag that is not packed terribly well, for instance. You know, a lot of times I know when we head out somewhere, we'll, we'll toss some lenses in a bag, but not, you know, have them sort of be hardened to the point of where we would be willing to check it through. And that can happen where, you know, you think you're going to be able to carry something on and then you're told we, you have to check this. And so that's the thing I think it would be most important to be prepared for is pack your stuff in a way that if you were told that it had to go in, in uh, you know, in the cargo hold instead, you wouldn't be freaking out about how poorly you packed it. You know, and I think that that only makes sense. Yeah, and and one yeah. of the things for all of our video cameras at this point, um, we 
uh, all the video cameras that we use now have uh, Pelican cases. So we have Pelican yeah. cases built for all the EX1s and the EX3 and everything else that we just – we try to take them on. We, you know, up until now, we've tried to roll them on, mm-hmm. uh, and most of the time we can. But if we have to check it, we just lock it and, and check it. It also brings back a question. There's an old uh, lure that I've never actually done that some photographers will um, – this is not something to do at this point because of the issues – there in the past, some photographers have have put a starter pistol in their checked bags. Mm-hmm. So you go and declare yeah, you, that you, you have a firearm, mm-hmm. and you put it in the in the bag. And what happens is they have to seal the bag and lock it in a way that even TSA can't get into it. So they inspect your whole bag while you're there. They lock it down, and then they um, uh, and then they and then it's sealed all the way through because they don't want it to be opened up. And it's not really that dangerous. I don't think I would do that uh, right now uh, because of the current sensitivities. So, so I, I think I probably avoid being smart, uh, being a smartass about it, and just yeah. um, and just figure out how to work around it. I, from all the stuff I've seen so far, while they did that at the very beginning, while they had some regulations, and I'll know. Tomorrow, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll 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 blog it one way or the other. Well, we'll just report on it from uh, from CES. Yeah, so I'm gonna you know I'll report so on you, what it took to get there. You're mad, or if you're happy. When we well, you know I'm gonna go prepared. I'm gonna you know I've gotten pretty good at at I pack all of my electronics in my backpack, and I pack all of my clothes and stuff that and anything I check when I check anything, mm-hmm. I generally have it in my head like if I never see that again, I can replace it. You know you know I don't and you know, often. You never see stuff again. No, no, no. You, I, I have, leave stuff all over well, the world. Well, there's that, you know. I admit, but it's not the airline's fault. It's just me leaving stuff around. Yeah. So the, um, uh, but I know, like, we have a shoot. We're we're bidding on a shoot in the Seychelles um, in uh, February, and we have no intention of trying to pack all that that gear. Like, yeah. we're just researching what what does it take to have FedEx deliver the gear. You yeah. know, you know, you know, yeah. to the to the loca- to the hotel sure. and have it there when we get there. And and part of it is, I have to admit, when we started doing that, we, we've been doing that for a couple of projects now. It's kind of nice. Yeah. It's kind of nice not it to go through all the stress. Up, now, yeah. the, the other thing I was going to say about that as far as traveling goes is I am I have become pretty hardened about using Scotty vests. Um, you know, diff- I have a lot of different Scotty vests. It's kind of – it's got all these pockets. And the thing to remember is that there's a lot of regulations about bags. Not so many regulations about how big the pockets can be. And, <laughs> so you, know, you can show up with your big Santa coat on just filled with I got to I got to Heathrow. <laughs> I got to Heathrow one time, and I was I looked like I had gained like 40 pounds. Well, I had gained 40 pounds. There was well, 40 pounds of would, gear. would certainly get you because that kind of looks no. suspicious. Yeah. So I, I wore it on. It was like, and what I do is I have a little fold-up bag that, you know, like one of those little ones that folds into itself, yeah, and that's yeah. in one of the pockets. So then I, I went into Heathrow, and I gave him the one bag I was allowed to put through. And then I put put my my uh, like, and, and you see the guy the guy you know the the uh, the guy behind the the X ray thing goes Whoa? you know like like yeah. he's like and, and and he says it's like a it's like a bag you know you know and, yeah. and, and I looked at him and I said but it's not a bag it's a coat and you, know, you know he and, let you go yeah yeah because it's a coat you can't start you know they can't start regulating every person that runs a coat through the system you right. know that's right. that's really the the only solution really is to have a vest and I've been in that situation before I've told people that I. You know, Ikea makes those little dollar cloth bags that fold up really small yep. or uh-huh. the kind of bag that, that Alex talked about. But they will often let you spill out of your roller bag all your expensive equipment and either stuff them in your vest pockets and uh, a bag like that. And that might be the solution to get your stuff on the plane. But even then, uh, you know, I see a time when maybe that won't even be allowed. But, uh, but as a professional, you want to make sure that you take with you everything you need to be able to complete uh, your assignments. You don't want to leave important stuff in in, in check bag or leave that to. Well, I'd never. I mean, I would ship something before I checked a, checked a camera. 
I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, but you you often don't have that option when you are getting ready to board the plane, and you just you know yeah. you're. And you say, sir, that, that bag won't fit. You're going to have exactly. to check it. And you're, exactly. You're just, yeah, yeah, you know, and I, and I think it's also pretty sensible to uh, just wear your camera around your neck and, you know, put it through the x-ray machine, yeah. put it back there, because that's the kind of thing that doesn't really count as a bag, and, you know, they're not going to know what to do with it. And if nothing else, at least when you get to your destination, you know you have a camera with a lens on it, uh, even if you were forced to check everything else. And, and, yeah. Yeah. and just to reiterate, all I have to say is that you can fit a 5D Mark II and a 24 to 70 lens in your right pocket yeah. of a Scotty vest. <laughs> and you know the other the other thing that this brings up is what we've been talking about on the show a lot and that's um <clears throat> the fact that less is more. You know, you don't need to be bringing every lens that you have in your inventory just in case that one shot, you know, maybe just a body and a 50 mil. Or again, find a place know? that you can ship it. If you need to have all that stuff, find a way to ship it down there. Mm-hmm. Um you know, if, if you're doing a big shoot and you need all your lenses, you know, find someone in country, find the hotel, if you're staying in a nice hotel or someone you know, and get the stuff down there. Um, I do think that it's, and it, it, it depends. It, like, I, I have to deal with, like, worrying about this every time we fly because we go into all these countries and we don't know. You know, like, we went into Brazil and we didn't know whether they were going to search us or whether there was going to be a big conversation. Yeah. And we ended up renting a really crappy camera in Brazil because we didn't want to deal with customs. Right. Then we got there and the guy's like, is this all yours? And we said, yeah, we go through. You know, I think, like, I think uh, this is going to be huge for those for the lens rental companies, like yeah. the borrow lenses and yeah. you know, those folks. Because now, you know, it makes sense for me to, but, if I'm going on a big trip to Yellowstone or whatever, just have all the big gear shipped there right. and get it, shoot it, and then ship it back from there and just bring my, my I, core gear on the plane. As I said, I think that they'll, once they kind of figure out what they're going to do about all these things, once all those little puffer things are in there and the, and the, and the virtual x-ray machines and everything else that's going to go into these I airports. I don't know about the puffer things. <laughs> I've been through the puffer. I've been through the puffer. Yeah. I've done the puffers. It's I love like that puffers. kind of show, Alex. Go on. No. I didn't say fluffer. I said puffer. Puffer. Puffers Here are cool. Here we go. Back I, to the I, I so, you. No, it was. It was. Uh, they, they have the little things that you know. So as that as that happens, I think that uh, right now what they're doing is they're trying to restrict everything and be super careful while they get the technology up to speed to figure it out. And then they're gonna. I think they'll relax it again. And the reason I think they have to relax it is because people will stop flying. It'll destroy the industry. So they they. Um, you know, if they make it too hard, people will work around it. And so that's yeah. the industry can't afford, um, you know, to have too much demand destruction. And so um, I think that's going to be the issue. So next question. Before we take the last question, before we close out everything, I want to uh, introduce our guest. Oh, yes. Our guest. We have a very special guest that we're going to insert right now. Um, it's someone who's been on the show before. She's a prominent Flickr photographer. Uh, actually, uh, you know, I hate labeling people with that because you're not a Flickr photographer. You're a photographer who happens to have your work But she's well-known on Flickr. She, and she made her name on Flickr, but now she's, of course, branched out beyond that. Her name is Rebecca, and I'm going to try to get this last name right, Goffstadter. Rebecca, I hope I got your last name right, Goffstadter. Um, but it has a series of characters in there that I can't even type, so I'm <laughs> doing okay. So uh, give it, I interviewed her a couple days ago. Did a really good interview. She's uh, turns out she's a photographer whose skills that you wish you had, but you know many of us are just kind of trying to get to that level. But she's now drifting away from photographer, maybe not away from it, but she's diversifying her creative interests into knitting. So, give this interview a listen. I'm here with Rebecca Goodliffstadter. Uh, she's a photographer that's been on This Week in Photography before and talked about all kinds of cool stuff. Um, 
including self-portraiture, some of the work that she's done, uh, Flickr stuff, etc. I've been lucky enough to have lightning strike twice, and I got her on the show again uh, to... Uh, to chat about what she's been up to in the last several months and uh, hopefully uh, dive into some of the projects. I also have some some really interesting questions to ask her about technique and that sort of thing. So, Rebecca, welcome back Hi. to This Week in Photography. Happy to be here. This is awesome. Um, so, you know, just for the, you know, in the interest of full transparency to the This Week in Photography audience, we've been trying to get this call going for like 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's been Skype that has been conspiring to not let you and I talk. I have no yeah. idea why. I think, I think maybe maybe Tiger Woods caused some ripples in the force or something. That <laughs> oh dear! <laughs> For some reason, let's we're not, not allowed to talk. <laughs> Whatever we do, let's not talk about Tiger Woods. <laughs> I think everybody's had enough of that. <laughs> Tell me about it. So what what have you been up to over the last several months? Um. Well. I don't know. I've, I've been kind of uh, just kind of going with the flow is, is how I would describe it. I've um, I've been working full time knitting sweaters, and we were going to go into that maybe later in yeah. detail more. But um, that's kind of been my job since I graduated uh, <clears throat> from school in May. I got my BA degree in visual arts in in May, and um, I kind of took a took used the summer to kind of recuperate and relax and not do much art. And not much photography, and instead just kind of working on sweaters and thinking and getting ideas and just kind of relaxing after a very stressful last year at school and kind of <clears throat> pondering what what I want to do with my with my future career. Well, let's talk about, really, the, talk about that yeah. a little bit. So yeah. sweaters are is this is this a? I mean, I know we talked about it during the last interview, and you were yeah. you were you were kind of overwhelmed with the number of requests that you were getting and your yeah. ability to pump them out. But yeah. are you are you moving more heavily into that as a business and away from? Photography? Yeah, I just decided. I decided to just embrace the fact that I could do this like a full time job. And, you know, managed to get, you know, a proper income from doing that. And while at the same time kind of isolating the photography as, as my art medium, I, you know, otherwise I would have had to dive into working as a photographer and taking maybe jobs that I wasn't that interested in doing. Mm -hmm. So personally, to me, I, I would much rather be, you know, working at home, you know, spending much more time with my kids than if I were working outside the home and just creating something because each sweater is, is a unique kind of creation and I'm designing the patterns myself and no two are alike. So it's it's a really kind of fun, creative process and I'm, I'm, I'm a compulsive knitter. I mean, I really, I cannot, my hands do not know what to do if, if I'm not working on a sweater. So it's actually worked out pretty well. I mean, I had this kind of <laughs> I, sometime this summer. I, I felt really anxious, and I all of a sudden realized I was just like surrounded by wool, and I hadn't made a photo in ages. And I was like, "Wait, what? what this is this is what I was going to do after graduation?" I'm like, "Now I'm a I'm a full fledged artist, and I'm making sweaters for a living. That's that can't be good." <laughs> but you know, it, I don't know. It is. It's 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 no worse than any other nine to five job. So um, and at the same time, I can you know when I do take photos and when I work on my photography. It's it's a really refreshing you know thing to come back to it and I'm not tired and sick sick up to here of Photoshop and and I really enjoy the the photography process a lot more than if I were doing that as a nine to five job. So, so you're, you're not you're not giving photography up. You're just you're uh, you're, no, you're no, focusing no, no, no. on on the the sweater business as your yeah, main source a, of income. Yeah, it's just a just a question of you know just making enough money to to just make ends meet for the for the time being in order to. Because I mean, let's face it. When you're when you're a visual artist, it's not exactly 
it's not like guaranteed that you're going to be able to work full time as an artist and and have enough money to get by. So I don't know. It's just my my way of because I stubbornly want to you know aim for that. That's what I want to do. Um, so while I'm working on these like time consuming ideas I have for photos and um, I've also been drawing a lot more than I than I was, and you know it, that just it's it's a kind of lengthy process and you can't really be churning out you know photos and, and doing like gallery exhibits every month in order to you know sell a lot. So you just need something to kind of uh, balance things out in order to you know just get a steady income going, and that way I can you know really just allow myself to focus on photography as an art form, yeah, which so is always what I wanted to do. You're not you're not trading uh, atoms for for bits and bytes. You're you're balancing them, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's that's really cool. So let's yeah. that, so how how. You, is the the photography and your notoriety in the photography industry and on Flickr and on your blog and all that are mm-hmm. is all that traffic the the funnel for getting customers for the for the new yeah. business? Yeah, that's that that's that has actually worked out perfectly. Um, I've managed to just um, you know every time I uh, complete a few sweaters, I take you know proper pictures of them, try to try to get them you know really display them in a really aesthetic way, and and uh, and I post that online, and you know I get like a whole new torrent of of um, requests from people, and then I you know answer everybody, and and just you know, I, I just get this steady trickle of, of customers who are you know that can afford it and are willing to wait a few months. Um, and it's just been rolling like that. I always have like 15 to 20 people on my waiting list at any given moment, and I manage to do like two to four sweaters a month. So it's it's kind of I mean it's it's exactly the right amount that I'm able to you know just do it completely by myself without getting like assistance or making a big like uh, kind of business out of it. Yeah. I, I don't really want to go in that direction. I just kind of want to do it because it's like everyone is my creation, and it's like I, I do all the work on it, and and that, that, so it's just a really small scale production. And it just kind of goes, yeah, it rolls in that uh, kind of steady kind of uh, way. Uh, so, I don't know. I mean, as long as my hands don't don't give out or my <laughs> wrists, then uh, <laughs> I'll probably keep taking orders for for another year or so. Now, are you, uh, am I ever going to see your creations in like a Fifth Avenue boutique or anything like that? No, probably not. <laughs> These are one-offs? These are like individual Yeah, they're one-offs. They're completely one-offs. I mean, everyone is, each one is made, you know, from specific measurements that the customer sends me and they pick the colors or they trust me to pick the colors. And everyone is just exactly, you know, just unique. And that's the way I want to keep it. I could, I could, you know, if I had had a brain for business, which I don't, I could make make this into something much bigger and, you know, really be designing like a line of sweaters or something. But I don't know. There's many, plenty of people doing that already. And I have no interest in having people work for me or something like that doing that. It's just, I'm, I'm, I'm a hopeless do-it-yourselfer. I always have been and always will be. <laughs> well, one of the other so, things that we talked about last time in the last interview was your disdain for shooting weddings. And, <laughs> and I come to find out that you've been shooting weddings, or at least a couple of them. What's, what's mm-hmm. going on with that? Well, it's just kind of things just kind of panned out that way. Uh, one of them was actually, uh, yeah, a couple. Um, I was telling you this earlier. Uh, a couple from, um, uh, I think she was Swiss and he was German, or the other way around. I think it was the other way around. But um, yeah, they read on my blog or heard. I think the the previous uh, Twip interview where I was mentioning how much I don't like shooting weddings <laughs> and that I I'm definitely not a wedding photographer, and they thought that was really cute. 
<laughs> and call, <laughs> contacted me and like we we definitely want you to shoot our wedding because you obviously are a, have a different approach to it and I was like well okay that's an interesting way of reverse marketing <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's the exact same thing like reverse psychology and it obviously worked without me meaning it to uh, but that was cool I mean I I, um, I decided to take the job and I I think they were really happy with the results and it was fun fun shooting it and. Uh, because it was kind of different. It was outdoors, and they only had, like, a few of their relatives with them, so there wasn't this, like, big, huge reception, which I find really, really stressful to photograph. Um, so I decided that was okay. I mean, just, you know, the occasional job, you do it to just, you know, because, you know, it's stupid to say no if someone asks you. Right. But I'm not, like, advertising it as my main thing. Um, so I've only gotten three requests, and I've done the three weddings, but... um. And one of them was for my best friend, and that was just my, my gift to her, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's definitely not something I plan on doing, like, <laughs> any more of than I necessarily have to. Wow. No, that's great. You're, you've got a balance there. So you've got, you've got the wedding photography that you do just whenever you feel like it or mm-hmm. whenever something that, that you feel like a job comes along that you want to you wanna jump onto. And then yeah. your main income is the, the, swe- the knitting sweaters. And yeah. your creative outlet is the photography piece of mm-hmm. it. That's yeah. that's awesome. So on the photography side of it, what what have been some of the latest projects that you've worked on or or, or uh, images that you've put together? Uh, well, the last one I did was um, in late November. Uh, that was an idea I had had knocking around in my head since April. I think uh, I had this vision of of a girl tied to an anchor mm. in the middle of nowhere. And I had been like really pondering. Was that right this. after the marriage? Right after the uh, the wedding that you shot? <laughs> no, no, no. This was just now. Um... <laughs> oh, I see where you're going. Here. <laughs> Actually, I think that's what my name means: being anchored down or tied down or noose or something like that. Really, really constricting. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which is funny considering how how extremely unmarried I am. <laughs> but anyway, uh, no. This is uh, this is just now in late November. Um, I'd finally. I, I don't know. You got, okay, this is a really good example of how my thought process works. Um, you know, first I get this image in my head, and it's a really strong kind of visual image, which can, you know, be interpreted in many ways. And then I had to figure out the practical side of it, like, okay, where am I going to get an anchor? <laughs> Sounds so simple, but it's not really that simple. They don't, they're, they aren't really lying around, and even if they are, you can't lift them. So <laughs> I had to kind of, I was just kind of thinking about that. I need to find an anchor somewhere, and I eventually advertised for one on Facebook. And as you said, as you said, Rebecca needs an anchor. <laughs> and some <laughs> some, <laughs> some uh, woman who happened to be actually a previous sweater client of mine here in Iceland, she she happened to have one in her backyard. So she calls me, uh, contacts me and says, "I have one, and it's like 150 centimeters. It's pro- proper size, and I can just bring it to you." And I was like, "Okay, cool." Wow. <laughs> Got my anchor. And it was, you know, just heavy enough so that I could, you know, really, by exerting myself, I could just sort of barely lift it and move it, you know, budget from, yeah. from place to place, you know. So I, uh, so I had the anchor, and then I went through this painstaking process of, of making a rope, which was originally supposed to tie me to the anchor. And, I mean, I tore down a sheet into, into strips, and then I wove that into a rope, and that took, like, two days. And this was a detail that nobody can see, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but I felt like I had to do it that way because I, if I went and bought a nylon rope at the hardware store, it would look, would look wrong. So okay, I, I weave this rope, and and then I get there. I I, I bring the anchor to the certain location that I had in mind, and 
uh, you know, beforehand, and then I waited for the right weather, and, and trying to get the right weather for an outdoor shoot in November in Iceland is, is not likely. And I you know, got this one day when it was, like, really calm, and it was, like, 8 degrees outside uh, Celsius, so that's not really that cold. I mean, yeah. you don't die. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, so I, I got myself to the location, and I was wearing this dress, and I had this rope, and then I had to spend, like, an hour and a half uh, setting up myself with the anchor and going back and forth because my remote decided to be out of batteries that same morning. Of course, yeah. Of course. <laughs> and, you know, I was shooting with a fisheye, and, and just, you know, when you're shooting with that kind of lens, just the slight wrong angle makes everything distorted in, in, in a really bad way. So, and I couldn't see what I was doing, and it was a damn anchor was like 50 kilos, it was like 110 pounds, and I had to kind of lift it for each each shot, and I did like 40 shots. And it was, like, extremely tiresome. I was so exhausted after this, but it was so fun because I finally got this image, which was completely different from what I'd planned. You know, the rope ended up as a belt around my waist, yeah. and I'm just holding the anchor because being tied to it just didn't work visually once I, once I got, you know, to the place and started shooting. Um, you know, I don't know. And, and, and the image is titled Burden, yep. which is, you know, I, I really, I mean, it has a lot of personal visual uh, interpretation for me, because it can mean, I mean, you know, just when you're thinking about, you kind of carry your past on your back, and you're kind of dragged down often by old memories, or things that you're taking forever to get over, instead of just letting it go, so the way I'm kind of positioned in this photo is I'm kneeling down, so it can kind of be sort of the process of just, you know, putting down that burden, and, you know, you're, you're, you're only just holding it, so you can easily just let it go, mm-hmm. but, you know, so I, I was really playing around with that kind of visual uh, thing there, um, and I was really happy with the result. And um, you know, yeah, this is something great. that somebody I'm at it, now. Some, it, it some, looks really good. Yeah, somebody could Photoshop this in I don't know an hour or something. Get a picture of an anchor off off iStock Photo or something, and and just put it together. But I, I can't work that way. You know, yeah. it's just not it's just not the same thing. So I'm I'm really happy when when a picture like this comes together, and I'm happy with it, and and it you know manages to portray what I what it was that I was aiming for. Yeah. No, and uh, yeah. So what what did you use to shoot this? The 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 gear, what what, uh, what camera body, what lens? Uh, and well, I'm still, of course, I'm you still had using, a tripod. Yeah, I'm still using my 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 trusty Canon 5D, which I've been using since 2006. Wow. Nice. Which shows that I'm not a spendthrift photographer. I do not do not waste money on things unless I necessarily have to. Yeah. Which is good, I think. I don't know. It is good. You can, you can get completely lost in, in, in camera gear. Um, and the thing is, I live in Iceland, and um, after this, our economy crashed in October, mm. we, you, you can't afford anything. Really? <laughs> I think uh. price of camera gear has gone up 100%, uh-huh. and I'm not exaggerating. So everything has just become ridiculously out of your reach somehow. You know, I, I, I haven't bought anything the past year, uh, so or past two years, I think. So I just kind of make do with what I have. And... Um, so yeah, I'm shooting with the 5D and uh, uh, fisheye 15 millimeter, which wow. is sort of my pet lens. I really like that one. That's if your, you use it is right, that, is that your desert island lens? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, if you use it the right way and you position it the right way, it doesn't do that fisheye distortion, you know, that in an obvious way. Mm-hmm. But you, it, somehow just it's it, it gives a different appearance than a normal wide angle. Um, I, I'm really really partial to that lens. And that's a what is it now? The 14? It's 15, 15 oh, millimeter, okay. 2.8. Gotcha. Wow. It's a fun, fun lens. Now, uh, now, speaking of lenses and technique and all that sort of thing, I know a friend of mine was was up there visiting you a while back, Trey Radcliffe. 
Yeah, I yeah. remember Trey. I'm jealous really of nice that. Guy. I'm jealous <laughs> that he got to meet you before I did. So. Yeah, he went like, I took him on a, we had coffee, and then I took him on a drive out out of the t- out of town, and we found horses, and he was like a, he was like a kid at Christmas. It was really fun. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, yay, horses. That's awesome. Oh, there's a river. <laughs> it's like everything that I took for granted. Like, oh, and he, he, he made some really, really nice images yeah, out of that. I, I, I saw them. Of course, he's huge. He's, like, much bigger than me on the Internet. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he was advertising me after that, which, which was cool. That's great. And, uh, now, now, Trey yeah. gets a lot of flack, and I just, I just interviewed him last night, actually. But he, he gets a lot of flack for um, HDR and the whole, yeah. the whole controversy, if you want to call it a controversy, or misunderstanding of, of what it actually is and when you should use it. And you, yeah. you also get some flack over... You know the self-portraiture thing and digital. Everybody gets this. I mean, if you do something and you do it in a good way, and you do a lot of it, everybody's going to start, you know, giving you a hard time about it. Picking it apart, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not like I, you know, I, I'm sure Trey won't hate me for saying this. I think I said this to his face. I'm not the biggest fan of HDR. Yeah. Um, but that's partly due to the fact that everybody was doing it, you know, in a really bad way. Yeah. Uh, you had this software, I think, which I, I, I don't have it. I haven't tried this myself. Um, and, and everybody was downloading the software and using it on really, really pedestrian photos, which they didn't benefit at all from, from this treatment. I mean, you just take a picture of this glass standing on a table and then, boo, it's HDR. And now it's a really great photo. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not yeah. what it's, it's not really the point. But, you know, Trey, Lipstick on Trey, a pig, right? Lipstick on a pig. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Trey, was, Trey does, it, does it well. And, he, he, you know, he, he really, he doesn't just, you know, put it through some program and just there it's finished. He, he tweaks them to his, you know, liking and he works on them a lot. So, I, I you know, I respect him for that. And yeah. he's gotten a lot of good, good feedback also from, from that. But um, HDR was like this huge thing that obviously was going to get both negative and positive feedback. And um, it just kind of depends on your taste. I mean, if you like the way it looks, it's, there's no problem using it. Yeah. Well, but I often, I actually sometimes, I work some of my photos in a way that people think it's HDR. I mean, the basic idea, high definition range, isn't that what it stands for? Yeah, high dynamic it's, range. It's just yeah. basically your, your, your high dynamic range, sorry. And what you're doing is just trying to get as much out of each part of the picture as possible. That's basically what you're doing with HDR. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do that in Photoshop, you know, just by selectively working layers and, and you know, using a different exposure for each part of the picture. And I sometimes actually do employ that in, in a few of my, uh, some of my horse pictures and landscapes, um, but not, you know, in a really, really obvious way. I, I always kind of want to do things in a more kind of subtle uh, way that you so you can't just point and say oh that's HDR you know but you can say it has sort of a HDR look to it you know yeah. and but that's that's just how I, I'm I'm more fond of just you know doing everything by hand you know I, I don't use shortcuts in Photoshop and I very rarely use actions I mm-hmm. you know do everything one step at a time that's great uh, so <laughs> so you're one one step away from the canvas then right yeah basically. I mean that's, that's that's that has actually been my approach to photography since day one. You know, this, the more artistic images that I make is working them, you know, in a similar way as you would a painting. You know, so the end 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 result is something that you know it works for for you and it works with your mind's eye and what you were kind of setting out to do. And I think that's that's the joy of, of that's why I love Photoshop is is how you can manipulate it in that way to do you can do something that looks really subtle. But it looks completely different from what came out of the camera originally. Yeah. So, 
that's definitely how, that's been my approach to that's Photoshop. great that's kind of like the uh you know listen to you talk it's, you're you're kind of like the antithesis of what a lot of photographers think they should be in order to be a successful photographer i mean they mean they really? should have, what they <laughs> what, they, what they, do photographers think they should be <laughs> well i mean a lot of a lot of amateur photographers um advanced and and amateur think they need to buy the latest gear you know they'll they'll model people will model their favorite photographers and say oh i want to be like you know fill in the blank so they go buy all the gear you know if that person is a nikon person they'll buy nikon and Mm -hmm. you know think they need expensive gear uh and and finely honed photoshop you know, Kung Fu in order to, in order to get images when, you know, looking at this and listening to you talk, I mean, you've got, you've got a camera that's great, but it's not the latest, you know, 5D Mark II and you're, you're probably just scratching the surface of what Photoshop can do, but you have this Mm -hmm. amazing gallery of images in here. So you're, you're kind of showing that all that stuff is just crazy. You know, you can do a lot with a little. Yeah, I think that's that's just a really really good way to learn. I mean, that is because I'm uh, most of the techniques that I use, except for long exposure photography. I will admit that I learned that from a guy in Flickr. I was you know corresponding with him back and forth, and I got some hints from him just to get me started, mm-hmm. and then I you know figured it out myself. The rest, uh, but other than that, all of the stuff I do in Photoshop and in my images is stuff that I've taught myself to do by playing around. And, you know, that way you're just, that's, like you say, just scratching the surface of what you can do. I mean, there's a huge potential with this program that I have not started using yet. And But I think that's the right way to do it because if you, like, I, I think we actually talked about this in my last interview, but mm-hmm. if you gather this huge arsenal of, of tricks and, and, and things up your sleeve. Okay, so if you were you're going to give advice to a photographer who's just starting out, hasn't bought any gear yet, um, mm-hmm. what, what should they get and what are some tips on, on subject matter to shoot? Ah, well, that's a, that's a, that's a hard question, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it depends on how much money you have to begin with, and if it's only supposed to be like you're playing around and it's a hobby, or if you really are set on becoming a professional photographer or, you know, a serious photographer. Because I am really partial to the full-frame cameras, you know, mm-hmm. just as a question of getting the most out of your lenses. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I started out with a uh, Rebel XT camera, which is, what, a 350 or 400, something similar to that yeah. right now. Um, and I did a lot of good stuff with it. And But, you know, I am so fond of, of the, the 5D and, and the, the full frame aspect of it that I, I have a hard time not recommending that. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously it's, it's out of some people's, you know, reach. I mean, it's not something you can easily afford if you're just doing this for fun. Yeah. So I think a good camera like the, the 500D or something like that, uh, I think it's called that. I think it even has video. My yeah. dad got one of those. And, I mean, that's a really good camera. And, or, you know, just that, that, that price range. And just getting a, a good lens that is not too narrow. I mean, like something under 24 millimeters, mm-hmm. like, some, I mean, wider than that, and has a zoom, so you can, like, let's say, I mean, I'm, I'm very happy with my uh, six, uh, 17 to, what is it, 17 to 40, mm-hmm. which I use the most, and as for subject matter, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> whatever, whatever floats your boat, right? <laughs> I mean, what did I start taking pictures of myself, flowers, uh, water drops? frozen water or something like that. I mean, it's just you just take pictures of whatever catches your eye. And the way it worked for me was that as soon as I started getting serious about photography and looking at everything through through the camera, everything became interesting. 
So it, instead of finding, it wasn't a matter of finding interesting subject matter, but capturing it in an interesting way, yeah. which surprisingly can actually be possible for almost anything. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, just the, the whole idea is just keeping your eyes open for everything around you. And, you know, letting the ideas come and not, not thinking in terms of what you've already seen, but rather, you know, what your, your mind's eye yeah. conjures up, which, because that's always been how, how I work. So, Rebecca, how, how, has, uh, how has Flickr been for you over the last several months? I know you were, you, uh, for a while there, you were kind of drifting away from it. Are you, are yeah. you sort of back into the fray now? Yeah, I kind of missed it. He <laughs> <laughs> called you back? <laughs> yeah, I did. This summer I decided, oh, what the hell, I, lo- I love this site. I mean, it's done so much for me. I cannot deny that. And I, I did drift away from it while I was finishing my studies because I didn't want to become too distracted with, with you know, making something that would work on the Internet and yeah. just making images that had already been popular or something. I wanted to really focus on what I wanted to finish doing at school and, and kind of, you know, figuring out my style and, and, and without having this kind of pressure of everyone looking over my shoulder. Uh, but I, I decided to return to it, like, you know, and this summer, and, and I've been, you know, uploading... I mean, a month might pass in between uploads, but then I might upload five pictures in a week. Uh, And it's just, I I do actually enjoy being there, and I enjoy the feedback, and it's like like an old family to you somehow. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to belittle it or, or, or try to, you know, you know, uh, deny the fact that Flickr was a huge influence in kind of uh, jump-starting my career. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really thankful for that. So, yeah, yeah. I'm probably going to be there for, for a while to That's come. That's great. That's good. I'm glad you're back on there. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, and I've also, I mean, I've noticed that people really are glad when, I, when, I, when, I, when, I, when I've been away and then you come back and post something. And you just feel like, I mean, there really is a large audience appreciating what you do. And it's such, a, such an easy way to just make yourself known and, and let people know what you're doing. And you know, every time I post something on my blog, I would you know post a link under the newest picture, and then my blog gets more, more reading and everything. It's just kind of it works. So yeah, it's an ecosystem. If it's not broke, you don't fix. It. I mean, if, what, what was I going to say? If it's not, if it's not broke, don't try to fix it. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I actually said it right the first time, and then I ruined it by. You have to excuse me. I'm I am Icelandic, even though I sound American. Sometimes I get these things wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you 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 almost have an indetectable, undetectable accent, so I can barely tell. So yeah, my best friend here in Iceland, or one of them, is is American. So I, I've been speaking a lot of American lately. So. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> That's a good thing. All right. So uh, last question. Um, mm-hmm. So you talked a little bit about Flickr. What about Twitter and Facebook and that sort of thing? Are you is that part of your social media ecosystem as well? Uh, Facebook definitely. I use that a lot. But I haven't tried Twitter yet. I, I've been kind of uh, avoiding it. Really? I don't know. Because I, <laughs> considering how much time all this other stuff steals from you, and just, you know, but seriously, you can be on Facebook, and all of a sudden you get, you get sucked into playing some stupid game mm-hmm. for an hour, and you're like, what the fuck am I <laughs> yeah, doing? I, <laughs> I actually should be doing something productive. And, you know, so I don't know. Trying everything, every new thing on which, which involves spending time on the Internet is probably a bad idea. But Facebook is good. Is, is is a much more relaxed kind of approach. You know, I can post just you know pictures of whatever I feel like it. You know, I mean, I still try to keep Flickr, you know, as a venue for posting my best work and of course my sweater pics. But you know, on on Facebook, you can just upload anything, and you can just kind of say what you're thinking. And there's a nice kind of community on there where. Yep. 
Okay, uh, so Rebecca, where where can people go to find you if they want to learn about your photography, your uh, sweaters, and all that good stuff? Well, obviously, Flickr is is, is the is, is the obvious place I would point, um, and you can just find my Flickr page by googling my name, mm-hmm. um, Rebecca Rebecca Goodlifestotis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my Flickr page comes up, but uh, and then my website is is rebeccagoodlifts.com. dot com, mm-hmm. and from there you can find an online shop and my blog and and all that. But um, and I'm also on Facebook. I I um I tend to add people if they send me requests. Oh, and then very you cool. Can easily follow what I'm doing if. You're so inclined. <laughs> Very cool. Well, for the but, folks um, that are that are that are scratching their heads on how they're what? ever going to, oh jeez, oh my god. Okay, in the off chance that you're still recording, I'm just going to say bye now and thanks for the chat. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yes, we were recording. Uh, Yay! <laughs> can you hear me? I can hear you now, oh, but you were dead silence there for a while. I decided oh, not to hang God. up. Oh, my God. Thank you for not hanging up. Oh, it's <laughs> killing me. Let's try I'm going to try it really quickly one more time, okay? We got to get okay, this. Okay, okay. so, Rebecca, really quickly, before Skype kicks us off, uh, where can people go to find out more about you? Um, well, you can check out my uh, website at RebeccaGoodLace.com. And I'm just going to assume that you're going to spell that somewhere on the TWIP website. <laughs> yes. And then, of course, I'm on Flickr. And you can find me on there either by just Googling my name or or I think it's uh, photos slash uh, Reba, R-E-B-B-A. And then I'm on Facebook as well. So people Thanks. tend to add me on there as well. And that's just sort of my more casual outlet for, for my everyday ramblings and and the like. <clears throat> Excellent. Well, Rebecca, oh, yeah. thank you for taking the time today to uh, to chat with me and to and putting up with all the ins and outs of Skype. I appreciate. Yeah, it. Same, same to you for patiently putting up with this. This was <laughs> this was quite amazing. <laughs> yeah, was but great. I'm glad we managed to finish it. It was, it was quite fun talking to you again. Thank you. Yeah, just for the folks that are listening, we've uh, Skype has has crapped out on us about ten times throughout this interview. So <laughs> the the interview you're listening to has been edited so that you cannot have to deal with that. <laughs> Which is good because it probably is, is it more than an hour of of, of wasted time. <laughs> exactly, we cut it all out. Yeah. Well. All right, Rebecca. Thank you again. Have a have a great day. All right, yeah. that was Rebecca. If you want to find out more about her, uh, of course, you can check out her blog or search for her on Flickr. We'll put all the links to the to her blog and her Flickr stream in the show notes. Um, but uh, pretty good interview. Yeah, excellent. All right, we got one more question. You want to take this one, Alex, or should no, I? Go ahead, fire away. Uh, here it is. Uh, it's from how do you pronounce this? Guar Guar Gurav. These names names are just killing me today. Uh, he says, "Question: Hey, Twip guys, why not talk about stabilization? There's a lot of confusion out there concerning tripods and monopods and the different heads. A lot of photographers have trouble understanding why something at Best Buy can cost forty dollars and something by Gitzo can cost over one thousand dollars." Steve Simon. Oh, yes. You weren't even listening to me, were you? No, of course <laughs> I'm listening. Get off of Twitter, I'm... Steve, for a minute and answer. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm I am here. I am here. Um, why why so is there the such question, a price uh, uh, disparity between cheap Best Buy tripods and expensive quote unquote real photographer tripods? 
Well, I mean, you know, I, I think we all probably feel generally the same way that you can, you generally get what you pay for. And, you know, when you talk about a really strong, light carbon fiber tripod within the range of carbon fiber, there's no real sort of cheap version of a carbon fiber tripod. It just is what it is. It's a high quality item. But within the various manufacturers that make it, like Gitzo, for example, uh, comes from, I believe, France. Uh, maybe it's owned by Manfrotto. I'm not sure exactly how it all works, but um, you know, it's it's partially you know where it comes from, where it's made, what what uh, where it's manufactured, the kind of currency that's happening there. Uh, it tends to be on the high end, and um, I, th- I think that if you have an opportunity, I know here in New York, lucky enough, you can go to B and H and see just about every tripod ever made together in one spot, and you can really get to play with them and hold them and and really get a sense of of what is. But generally speaking, uh, you do get what you pay for. So, um, you know, a $50 tripod is going to be a lot different um, than, than uh, one. But what's now. the main Just difference? Is it the, of, is it the quality of the materials? Is it the weight? What is it? Well, you know, again, there are different things here. I mean, we're talking, you know, the, the tripod head, you know, the ball heads. I mean, there's a range of ball heads. And, you know, when you use a, a high-quality ball head and you play with one, you realize it's silky smooth. It locks, and when it locks, it is locked. Whereas the cheaper versions tend to 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 creep a little bit. Um, you know, I, I think with anything, generally speaking, uh, you know, there is a, a get what you pay for thing. I think um, you know. I think on. part of the distinction is it's sort of the the difference between. It's not necessarily about making the images better. A lot of times, it's more about making your life easier. A lot of the times, and there's. There is real value to that. Not just easier, but more efficient. Uh, certainly in a professional setting, you know, spending an extra five minutes to sort of wrestle with a, a ball head that's not really good or doesn't quite move in the direction you want it to or isn't quite as reliable, so you've got to sort of you know, support it with some other things. And that can be an expensive cost for just even a few minutes' worth of time, and especially if you're moving a lot and you need to be setting up a lot of shots. Uh, having a lighter tripod. Had working in the extreme cold, like a lot of us yeah, are sure. right now during the, the cold spells, I mean, having a high-quality uh, piece of equipment, it's, that, that has been considered in the manufacturer often, in the conditions that you're going to use it with. But, you know, when you asked me that question, Fred, I was kind of drifting, and I was thinking, you know, a lot of us say, yeah, stabilize, use a tripod when you can. And uh, the last time I was doing a workshop, we were all out shooting, and everyone had their tripod, and I was thinking, in some ways, you know, if you're not experienced uh, in photography, a tripod can be a bit of a, a limiter to you because, you know, you've got to plump it down. You've got to, you're not going to be able to explore various angles, um, you know, using a tripod. So I, I would suggest to people that if they're using a tripod, it's always a good thing to stabilize your camera, but come up with the picture, but without the tripod, you know, put the camera to your eye, you know, duck down, figure out what your exact composition is going to be, then set up the tripod rather than necessarily carry that, you know, tripod with your camera stuck on it and put it down and figure out yeah. your composition. Yeah. I guess, you know, it's a, it's a good point that we always talk about how these new cameras with their incredible low light sensitivity are really going to be changing our ability to shoot in the dark. But the other thing it's really giving us is the ability to shoot you know, in more normal lighting, but at a faster shutter speed, which means that you can eliminate the need for a tripod in a lot more situations. Uh, and I think that's, that is a huge difference in and of itself. 
Yeah. You know, one one tip before we jump out of here that I would give to uh, to photographers that can't really afford to jump into and get a really expensive tripod right now. One thing that I did when I had a, a cheaper tripod was from doing a shot that didn't have a lot of movement in it or even if, you know, even if it did have some movement in it, I would use the timer feature on the camera and uh, set my tripod up and get my shot composed hit the hit the shutter button and let the camera count down and and all the movement would sort of subside before the shot was taken so that kind of you know gives you some semblance of of um, stability rather than you know if you just when the when you take the when you click the shutter the shot is taken at that moment you run the risk of getting all that vibration that you're introducing into the scene if you turn the shutter or the timer on then your camera has a chance to settle down before it takes the shot and, and using a remote remote fire too those remote I mean, fire if you have I, that i have a couple different versions of that one yeah. that's real simple that's just a little you know and and um uh, and some of them are more complex, but that also we use that a lot for when, anytime we're shooting HDRs. You know, we always use one to make sure that we're not moving the camera around when we're hitting it. Yep. All right. We're not gonna have time for picks. We're not gonna have time for I'm picks. Have to be, I'm gonna have to be bad cop here. All right. We ran out of time. Ron, I guess you're not gonna get, annou- get a chance to announce your uh, your pick of the week anyway. <laughs> you have to wait till next week. A, I can give a quick shout out to right, Joe, give, give him a quick shout out. Go ahead. Just Joseph Lenaski's got a, a great uh, ebook out. Uh, that people should go check out. We'll put links to the the show site that uh, are on the website. But uh, Confessions of a Travel Junkie dot com. You can check out Joseph's ebook on uh, aperture file management. Yeah, and oh, just great. that URL one more time is because he has the world's worst URL. Confessions <laughs> of a Travel Junkie dot com for his aperture ebook. It is really good. It's, it's really on sale good. now too. So it's, for the rest of the week, it. I think he's got it on sale for half price or something ridiculous. It's pretty cool. So yeah. check it out. And next week is all CES. So all ne- CES. There next week we're going to be talking about. Uh, uh, just all the cool stuff that was released and all the stuff we saw at CES. So stay tuned for that. Yep. Uh, should be a lot of fun. All right. All right. Let's mm-hmm. close it out. Alex, where are you at? You're on Twitter. I'm on, You're t- on, the, I'm Twitters. on the Twitters. Alex Lindsay. Twitter.com forward slash Alex Lindsay. We all know that. I'm going to be posting stuff to Twiplog Twip soon. By the way, go to Twiplog. Lisa, Lisa Batney. She did a did great. Did an amazing uh, New Year's resolution for photographers kind of post there. Yeah. So if you haven't gone to Twiplog.com, get over there. and uh, There's going to be a lot going on. So one of the things you want to do is you want to be going up to Twiplog fairly often. You want to subscribe to uh, you know become a, a member there. Uh, yes. We're going to be... Uh, mailing list. We're gonna putting up, mailing list. We're going to be putting up uh, uh, the, the, a lot of the news that we're covering. Mm-hmm. We're going to start putting up on Twiplog and letting you comment on it before we even talk about it. We're also going to be telling you who we're interviewing on Twiplog so that you can tell us the kind of questions that you want. Yeah. Uh, and, and so all of that's going to be happening starting this week. So uh, definitely go up to Twiplog and keep keep an eye on it. Yep. And hit me on Twitter because I'm, I'm interviewing two people in the next couple of days, actually. I'm interviewing Andy Biggs again. So if you're interested in, in his the new camera bag, that he has out some amazing camera bags and we're going to be talking about his safaris african safari adventures and things like that so if you have any questions on that hit me on twitter um twitter.com forward slash frederick van also um i'm also interviewing who else rick salmon rick salmon he's interviewing me on friday and i'm interviewing him so we're going to be on each other's podcast so if you have a question for rick salmon or andy biggs hit me on twitter or else uh you're not going to get the question in and um, Steve Simon, where are you at? You're on Twitter, aren't you? I am on Twitter, uh, slash Steve Simon, and I'm going to be doing a couple of workshops, one in um, mentorseries.com in New Orleans, uh, February 25th, I think, 
then Morocco in April. That should be really interesting. Wow. I've never been there. And I'm also going to be at the Gulf Photo Plus in Dubai, um, March 1st or thereabouts, where I guess I can see that the world's tallest building that opened today. Are you going to go to the top of that building? I will go to the top of it. And, you are? Uh, you promise? I promise. All right. We'll promise. see. <laughs> if I get past security. All right. Mr. Ron Brinkman, where are you at online? Oh, on Twitter. Ron Brinkman. Ron Brinkman Cool. All right. And if you're looking for me, you can also find me on Twitter at Frederick Van. It's F-R-E-D-E-R-I-C-K-V-A-N. Or on my blog, which has a lot of really cool interviews. So if you haven't gone by there, check it out. It's at FrederickVan.com. And with that, it's time to take that lens cap off for the first time in 2010.